Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups and walk away an instant Winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code HOOPS. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. I've got a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to be hitting two preseason games from last night, the Lakers and the Kings and the Celtics and the 76ers. And then we're doing our season preview for the Boston Celtics, who came in at number three in our preseason power rankings. And I've got three mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. You guys have the drip before we get started. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. And last but not least, any more mailbag questions. So keep dropping those in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them at the end of the show. All right. So if you guys remember in my Lakers season preview, one of the things I said is that 
I agree with most, you know, Lakers detractors as it pertains to the offseason and what it means for their ultimate ceiling. Like, nothing they did this off uh, this offseason is going to fix what happened to Denver unless LeBron James and Anthony Davis become better as jump shooters, unless D'Angelo Russell gets better as a defensive player so that he can stay on the floor, unless the things that went wrong for them in that series get fixed, which, again, we've seen some encouraging signs in preseason, but those things have not been fixed, at least not in a way that we can depend on, right, from the standpoint of prediction. So, like, right now, if I had to pick a Lakers-Nuggets series, picking the Nuggets again, right? But what I did say is that their offseason was a really good example of taking advantage of the opportunities that were available to you in that offseason to improve depth that will help you over the course of the regular season. One of the things that was an issue in the past for the Lakers is if LeBron James or Anthony Davis missed a game, they were in big trouble, in large part because if LeBron was out, they didn't have any forwards. They didn't have anybody that was between 6'7 and 6'10 that was competent defensively and enough of a threat offensively to stay on the floor. And then if Anthony Davis was out, their backup centers were older and slower and weren't capable of anchoring a unit that could contend in the NBA. I contend is the wrong word, but compete in a night, night out, night in, night out basis in the NBA regular season. And so they were in a lot of trouble. And it, I mean, it was one of those things where like one of them would go out during the Russell Westbrook era and they would have to play their ass off and LeBron would have to play like an absolute superstar just to barely scrape out a 500 record. Or Anthony Davis would have to play unbelievable basketball just to barely scrape out a, hundred, uh, a, a, a 500 record when LeBron was out, right? I mean, even when those two guys were available, they were a mediocre basketball team. And it's because down the roster, they were missing a bunch of very specific and important traits that basketball teams need to have. And so unless LeBron James and Anthony Davis both played like top five players in any one game, even if they just played a little poorly, they probably would lose. And, and that was the predicament they were in. Now the unique, the, the difference between that situation and where the Lakers are now is starting with the Rui Hachimura trade, they've brought in things that can help them in those specific areas, right? You bring in Rui Hachimura, a forward that can do a lot of little things that help your basketball team. Then at the deadline, you bring in Jared Vanderbilt, right? You, you By moving Russ out of the situation and giving the keys of the offense to Austin Reeves, you discover another shot creator in Austin Reeves that can legitimately anchor an offense for a shift, right? Then you bring in D'Angelo Russell who was pretty good for the most part last year until the Denver series, right? And then he's been great so far in the preseason, but that's another legitimate shot creator. Then extending into this summer, flipping Dennis Schroeder for Gabe Vincent, a player that fits better with this Lakers roster. Bringing in Torian Prince as another forward that brings a different punch to the table than what Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura bring to the table. Going with younger, more athletic Backup center options, right? That's what you're getting with Jackson Hayes. Christian Wood has a lot of length for the position, more of an offensive-minded player, obviously, right? And Christian Wood's had a kind of a hell of a of a training camp so far, but he's also, you know, it looks like he's not really fitting in yet. That's going to take time. But down the roster, they've made significant improvements at areas where they used to be weak. And so now what happens is, is they can have LeBron James miss an extended stretch like he did at the end of last season – and you can still win most of your games. They were literally one of the very best teams in the league post-deadline, especially on the defensive end, but in their win-loss record as well. I believe they were 18-8 and post-deadline, and that was with LeBron James missing most of those games. 
Because now they actually have that functional ability to be a basketball team without one of them. What does that mean? What do you have to do to have a functional basketball team? You have to have shot creation, guys that can start offensive possessions by getting the defense in rotation. Then you have to have play finishing, right? You have to have guys that can score based on what the defensive coverage is, right? So if they can get the defense in rotation, you need to have guys that can knock down shots on the backside. And then if they defend your actions two-on-two or one-on-one, you got to have guys that can make shots with the ball in their hands, right? That's like an absolute must to have a chance to win an NBA basketball game. And then secondly, you have to have size and athleticism. You have to have athletes that can compete defensively and can compete on the glass. They used to not have those things. Now they do. And that's bought them the luxury of having the ability to be a competitive basketball team when LeBron James and Anthony Davis are out of the lineup, right? Last night, they were out of four starters, Jared Vanderbilt, I believe, is going to be the starting three on opening night. There's some buzz about Torian Prince. I don't really understand that specific move. I think Jared Vanderbilt is the best way to start the game with like an intense point of attack defense kind of like vibe, right? Um, but, I mean, maybe it ends up being Torian Prince. But Jared Vanderbilt did start a lot of games for the Lakers last year, so let's call it four starters. They had Vanderbilt was out, Austin Reeves was out, LeBron James and Anthony Davis was out. The Kings played basically everybody but Keegan Murray, right? They had their core lineup out there, and they were viewing that as like a dress rehearsal. They're trying to get ready for the season. And the Lakers straight up outplayed them. And the reason why is now they are a functional basketball team without LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? D'Angelo Russell has turned into like a legitimate half-court shot creator. And he's straight up playing at a star level in preseason. I'm not going to get any more into that right now. We're going to save that until after... um, we get that through this specific game breakdown. Gabe Vincent, when he's slotted as your second best guard, that's a perfect example. If Gabe Vincent is your best guard, your best shot creator, you might have an issue con- uh, competing in a basketball game. But if he's your second or third best, and when the Lakers are healthy, he's like their fifth or sixth best. But with Austin, LeBron, and D-Lo, uh, Austin, LeBron and, and Anthony Davis out, he kind of slots in there right about their second best shot creator. He does fine there. He's right around a point per possession in preseason, running pick and rolls. He's six for 12 on pull-up jumpers. Four of those six makes are threes. That ability to hit the pull-up three and force guards over the top in pick and roll allows him to create shots. Remember, he started for an NBA Finals team last year. Rui Hachimura can score. He's four for six on pull-up jumpers so far in preseason. He's been really aggressive as a spot-up player. I always talk about the difference between spot-up shooting and aggressive spot-up shooting. Spot-up shooting is like, okay, I'm wide open. The defense was in rotation, and I got a wide-open catch-and-shoot three. Watch me make this thing, right? A aggressive spot-up shooter is like, I'm really just catching a pass. The defense isn't really in rotation. The dude who's closing out at me is kind of there, but I'm just six foot nine, and I jump high on my shot. And I'm just going to rise up over the top of you and knock it down. Like, this is crazy. Ruyachimura is at 67% in effective field goal percentage on 12 catch-and-shoot jump shots. Of those 12 attempts, only one was classified as unguarded by Synergy. So he's just rising up and knocking down shots over contests. He's converting spotted possessions at 1.3 points per possession in preseason. So that's like a lot of offensive firepower between Rui, Gabe, and D'Lo. That's like... Like, like, here's the thing. Are they going to beat the Kings in a playoff series with that group? Of course not. The Kings are better. 
But the point is, is on any one-game sample, two-game sample, three, four-game sample over the course of the regular season, can they play 500 basketball? Absolutely. Of course they can. Because they have firepower that goes beyond the stars. They have two legit pick-and-roll weapons without AD. You can have Jackson Hayes screening and rolling hard to the rim. I talked about the other day that he's actually been really good for their offense because he flows really quickly, makes quick decisions. He hasn't even missed a shot in pick and roll yet this year. He's seven for seven. It's converting roll man possessions at one point uh, at one point four points per possession. That's awesome. And he's actually been uh, he's committing is the big problem he's having in, on defense right now is fouling. Um, got kind of buried under the rim a few times by Sabonis last night. That was causing him problems. But like, if he can figure out the fouling piece, he's actually doing a decent job contesting shots in pick and roll. Now, I mean, here's the thing. He's kind of had issues with that throughout his career, so maybe that ends up being a problem all season. But again, during the regular season, just need to eat innings. He's a legitimate option. Christian Wood hasn't played well in the preseason, but he's incredibly skilled. So again, like, there's just a lot of firepower here. There's a lot of shooting and ball handling. There's a lot of size and athleticism. They're young. They're eager. They're playing hard. They're well-coached. And so they can hang in games like this. Rui and Jackson Hayes, that's a decent-sized front line for an NBA regular season game, especially when a lot of teams do play small, like the Sacramento Kings. And so even without four starters, they can do something like outplay the starters for the Sacramento Kings in a preseason game, right? But again, like th- th- that was the move that I really uh, appreciated about Rob Palinka in the offseason. Just... Going all in on continuity and depth, solve the regular season problem so that you can just stress-free work your way through the season, end up around 50 wins with a a first-round home court advantage, right? Then you can decide over the course of the season what you want to do at the deadline. And here's the thing, if D'Lo is going to play this well, you don't do anything. And it wasn't just that they outplayed the Kings last night, they looked confident, they looked charismatic. D'Lo was carrying himself like he was the best player on the floor. But that, that bodes well for an 82-game regular season. D'Angelo Russell last night, 21 points and 8 assists in 21 minutes. He led an 11-0 run in the third quarter to take an 8-point eight, eight lead. It was like 62-59. to 59. Okay, um, Malik Monk gambles, or no, I think it was De'Aaron Fox, gambles on an offensive rebound. D'Angelo Russell sprints up the floor and gets a run-out layup, identifying that they don't have their floor balance set up properly for transition defense. Very next possession, he comes off of a double drag screen at the top of the key, and uh, I think it was um, Duarte was in the left corner on Torian Prince. He sucks over into the paint to, to defend the uh, to tag the roll man. D'Lo just makes the skip pass right into the shooting pocket for Torian Prince. He knocks down the three. Next possession, another double drag at the top of the key. This time, Sabonis switches onto D'Lo, but he's hanging back. D'Lo just rises up and knocks down the pull-up three. And then finally, uh, after they get a stop, he dribbles up the floor in transition and hits like a dribble combo like heat check. There's nothing special about it from the standpoint of schematics. It's just he's hot and feeling himself, and he rises and fires and knocks down a pull-up three. Next thing you know, it's 70-62. to He's been playing at an incredibly high level. And it, wa- it wasn't just at the, uh, in the third quarter. Like, legitimately, he just took over the beginning of the game as a half-court shot creator. 
First possession of the game, they run a horn set. He starts in the right corner, comes off the dribble handoff from Torian Prince. Gabe Vincent cuts back door. He notices that Kevin Herter's not paying attention, just throws a rifle pass right by his head for a layup. Very next possession, he runs a, uh, a dribble handoff with, ja- uh, with Jackson Hayes on the right wing, and he sees Sasha Vizenkov, who's guarding Rui Hachimura, help into the paint. Uh, the Kings all game long were uh, tagging the roller on the weak side corner. They're basically going to ex- exist in rotation all year, which we'll talk about in a minute. But as a result, Rui Hachimura, again, is the open man in the corner. D'Lo makes the read. Two possessions later, another pick and roll with Jackson Hayes. The Kings guard it, three on two, tagging the roller again. This time it's Harrison Barnes that's tagging the roll man. But Rui, after having just missed a three, cuts along the baseline over to the other side of the rim, and D'Lo finds him cutting for a layup. He's just, again, it's easier too when the Kings are playing three on two. Again, the Kings did not defend well last night, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it's about making decisions. Like the pick and roll ball handler has to make decisions based on what the defense is doing. And he just continually made the right decision. Very next possession, another pick and roll with Hayes. This time on the right side of the floor, and they clear the side. And Kevin Herter's kind of lagging behind in his uh, back pressure. D'Lo just takes like a little drifting 17-footer along the baseline and makes it. Like, it just, it, it's just, I can go on and on and on, but I, I'm not going to because that'll be boring. <laughs> I did make a video of the, uh, uh, of this, of his court, a third quarter run where I kind of broke it down. You can find that on TikTok or Instagram or on Twitter. Uh, but I mean, here's the thing. He ran 16 more pick and rolls last night that led to 21 points. He's up to 54 points on 39 pick and rolls in preseason. That's 1.39 points per possession. He's at 63% in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots, 90% effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jump shots. He's converting spot-up possessions at two points per possession. He's nine for nine shooting layups at the rim. Like, I don't think you could be more impressive through, through three, three preseason games than D'Angelo Russell has been. And that's the beauty of basketball. Like, D'Lo was the most embarrassing part of the Laker postseason run last year. And he had some moments. He had some moments in the regular season. He had moments against uh, um, Memphis, or I think it was the Memphis game, right? A game four where he hit all those threes to get him back into it late. Had some moments in the Warriors series, was like attacking Steph out of the post. Like, it wasn't like it was all bad, but he was really, really bad in the, in the Nuggets series. He averaged six points a game. I'm like 32% shooting. You could not do much worse than he did. And specifically was getting embarrassed and shown up by Bruce Brown. But again, that's the beauty of basketball. You live to fight another day. Hey, dude, I'm still in the league. You had your moment last year. Now I'm back, right? That's what's cool about basketball. You live to fight another day. Okay, you got embarrassed. What are you going to do next? And it's clear that he's put in a lot of work. And it's not just on his offensive game. By the way, he looks athletic. There was a play after that initial run where like, uh, uh, the Kings clearly were starting to get pissed off that D'Angelo Russell was picking him apart. And so De'Aaron Fox like, picks him up full court. like Full court, intense ball pressure. And De'Aaron Fox is a good ball pressure guard. And D'Lo just beats him to the left and goes full speed down the lane in, in like semi-transition, gets challenged at the rim by Kevin Herter and like makes one of the more athletic finishes I've ever seen from him in his career. Like, like, he clearly has been in the gym. He's been in the weight room. He's polishing up his jumper. Nine for nine at the rim. That's great for a guard. 
It's half decision-making, half his legs look strong. And then he's even been much better defensively. I talked about this the other night. He talked about it on um, in his media day uh, interview. But he's just just in the right spot all the time. There have been like four steals this preseason where dudes just threw passes and D'Angelo Russell just because he's in the right spot ended up getting steals. He, 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 he's playing really good basketball this preseason. Again, it's just preseason. And again, like there are specific issues he needs to rectify to be successful in the postseason. But like he's playing himself into everyone's going to be talking about D'Angelo trades all summer or all uh, uh, season. It's going to be D'Lo plus this contract, D'Lo plus that contract for this guy, for this star, for whatever it is. It's going to be the talk all season. But if he plays this well, that talk is going to quiet down quickly. Good for uh, D'Angelo Russell. All right, let's talk about the Kings. Uh, they're not very sharp. Again, like the defense was borderline embarrassing. Um, it's kind of crazy how aggressive they're guarding pick and roll, but they have to because they can't guard at the rim. And their point of attack defense is not great. But as a result, they're just constantly in rotation and constantly giving up closeout opportunities. But again, I want to cut them some slack because they're not very sharp right now because they're in a different spot, right? Like, you got to think about what the Lakers are. The Lakers are a team that struggled in the regular season last year, right? I think they ended up, what, 42 and 40? And so they weren't like – they were coming into the season highly motivated. Like, we made it to the Western Conference Finals, and we threw this shit together at the deadline. We're going to attack training camp. We're going to go get this thing. That's where the Lakers are at mentally. The Kings just had a super impressive regular season and still lost in the first round, right? So, like, they're in a different spot here. They understand that they're kind of looking more at the bigger picture. They're just like, we need to fix some things before you get to the postseason. They learned the hard way last year that seeding doesn't really matter. There's so many good teams. Like, even if the even if my power rankings list all leads the conference, like, even if it's like, Denver, LA, Phoenix, Golden State, one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight is going to be like Clippers, you know, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, Kings, Thunder, right? Like it's gonna be really good teams at the bottom. There, there is no such thing as like, oh, I got the one seed, my path's gonna be easy now. Like it's just like last year with Minnesota who's like kind of a year too early is probably the last time for a long time. You're going to see a bad Western conference team in the playoffs. I shouldn't even say bad, but like not as much of a threat. And I'd argue if, if Minnesota gets the eight seed again this year, they're going to be a significantly bigger threat than they were last year. Right. It's just they're in a different spot is my point. And so I don't expect them to be as sharp in the preseason. Darren Fox was a silver lining. He really struggled in his first preseason game against Toronto, but he looked really good. Last night, he was getting downhill, getting downhill in transition. He was hitting his pull-up jump, sh- jump shot. He hit like a really nice like one-legged pull-up jump shot, kind of drifting towards the basket. He had a pull-up three. He was making good reads. De'Aaron Fox looks good. I thought Chris Duarte looked good. He was killing in transition. Like, again, with the Kings, De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk are running, and they're running, and they're running. They're playing with a ton of pace. And so if you run your lane, you're going to get shots. And Duarte got two corner threes in this game just by sprinting his lane in transition and getting his feet set in the corner. He also hit an above-the-break three on a kickout on the right wing in the second half. And then in the first half, he had a playoff of a steal where 
Uh, he had like a really nice like slow down like long step finish on the left side of the rim. I thought I thought he looked like he made a lot of sense with his athleticism and shooting out there. Sasha Vizankov, uh, I've been a little disappointed with the way they've used him so far in preseason because he was much more of like a post up fulcrum over in Europe, and they're basically just using him as another Keegan Murray. Like they're they're running dribble handoffs with him, and he's shooting threes off the catch and he's spotting up a lot and and stuff like that I've noticed his cutting be of value like he just has good instincts for no, understanding when his defender's not paying attention to him and he'll relocate or or cut to the basket um they've only posted him once all, in all of preseason in the two games which is kind of a bummer because like again like he has this like disgusting left shoulder fade uh, he could take it off of one leg. He could take it where he goes strong and straight up. He can kind of drift back off of two feet. Like he's deadly with that shot. And the one post up was a post up of D'Angelo Russell, and he immediately went to his one leg fadeaway and he made it. So I'd like to see them use him a little bit more, um, especially since he just kind of brings a different type of speed uh, to what they do offensively. I, I think he's going to be really useful for them over the course of the season. I just hope they use him a little bit more aggressively than they have. I have the Kings as the team I expect to take the biggest dip in the uh, standings this year. I think they're going to be a play-in team. There's three main reasons why I feel that way. First of all, like I said earlier, they're in a different motivational spot. I won't get into that again. They're just in a different spot motivationally in the regular season than they were last year. Secondly, they had the best injury luck in the league last year, which obviously played a role in their regular season success. And then lastly, the West just got better around them. The Lakers deeper and better in the regular season. The Suns, deeper and better in the regular season. Golden State, deeper and more versatile than they were last year. The Timberwolves, I think they're going to be awesome this year. The OKC Thunder, all their young players are a year better and you're adding Chet Holmgren to the situation. They're going to be a lot better. The Pelicans, if Zion Williamson is healthy and in shape, they're going to be a lot better and they have young players making improvements. The Mavs are going to be better than they were last year. They basically punted. The Rockets are going to be a lot better than they were last year. The only two teams I looked at in the standings where I'm like, uh, the, you know, maybe the Kings could uh, uh, make a case that they're not any better, the Clippers and the Grizzlies. But at worst, they're just as good as they were last year. So, like, the West got better. The Kings are probably not going to get as, as lucky as they did with injuries. They're not going to be as motivated to play hard in the regular season. I think they're going to take a dip. I think they're going to be around the play-in tournament this season. As far as their playoff success comes down, or, or, uh, it really just comes down to whether or not they can – get stops. Um, I actually believe their playoff offense will be better. Every player not named uh, Malik Monk or De'Aaron Fox really struggled to shoot the basketball last year in the postseason. And Sabonis like had a nightmare series against Golden State. It, he just – Draymond Green and Kevon Looney have been eating up, you know, the the power po – the undersized power, you know, center. I shouldn't even say undersized because Sabonis is big, but like under-athletic center who likes to play with power – in the postseason. Those guys have been chewing those dudes up nonstop. So, like, I, I really do think they're going to be better offensively this year, but they, they just really couldn't get stops. They got absolutely cooked by Steph Curry. They couldn't figure out the balance between point-of-attack defense and offensive firepower for their lineups. So, I, I, I mean, I would hope that at some point this season they take the defensive end more seriously. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Moving on to Sixer Celtics. So the Celtics kind of have a very similar version of the Lakers roster where they have the ability to be functional without their two stars. And you saw that again last night, right? Like they started with Derek White and Drew Holiday. They went with Sam Hauser at the three, and I thought he had an impressive game. And then they went with Al Horford and, and Christophs Porzingis. That's three legitimate offensive weapons. Derek White is really good. He's a very good offensive player. Drew Holiday, a, a star offensive player. You know, Kristaps uh, Porzingis, a legitimate offensive weapon at center. Then they have plenty of interior size with Horford and Kristaps Porzingis. Plenty of point of attack defense. It's versatile in the type of positions they can guard. That's what Derek White and Drew Holiday are. They're guards that can defend at the point of attack and can defend wings. So, like, they have the ability to contend or compete, I should say, when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown don't play. And they'll be able to comp- uh, compete when Drew Holiday and Derek White don't play because uh, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown are out there. That step, That depth of star talent is what creates small, achievable roles for their role players. They're not as deep as some of the other teams in the league on the bench. But they've got five legitimately very, very, very good players. You know, five top 40 players in the league, five top 50 players in the league, depending on where you have Derek White. So, like, with that flexibility, you have the ability to coast during the regular season in a lot of ways. 
I mean, that's one of my biggest hot takes from this particular season is I think the Celtics are going to run away with the one seed. And I mean the overall one seed. Everybody in the West is going to kick the shit out of each other. The East is a little bit bottom heavy, is a little bit top heavy, and, and then is weak at the bottom. So I think teams will hit higher win totals. But I also just think the Celtics are going to win the Eastern Conference by like five games because Milwaukee doesn't have that same type of depth of star talent at the top, right? So like that, I I really do think this is going to be a thing that they can lean on all season long. Um, they had a somewhat uneven first shift against the Sixers. They got up to like a seven zero lead, and then they kind of cooled off. Um, but they put on a masterpiece of a second shift at the end of the second quarter. Um, uh, I, I think they wanted with, I think they went with Delano Banton instead of Sam Hauser in that specific shift, but it was still Drew Holiday, Derek White with Al Horford and Kristaps Porzingis. And they just picked him apart on both ends. Drew Holiday and Derek White really locked in defensively in that stretch. They were causing Tobias Harris and, and Tyrese Maxey, all sorts of issues, um, like just really shut down the Sixers offense. And then on the other end of the floor, just running two man game and just killing teams. That pick and pop action with Kristaps Porzingis is going to give teams all sorts of issues. They even had a, a, a play where they switched it. So like, uh, Drew Holiday and, and Kristaps Porzingis ran a pick and roll late second quarter. Uh, Paul Reed switches onto Drew Holiday and it's like, take your pick. You want to post up Kristaps Porzingis, uh, on one of the Sixer guards, or do you want to, have Drew Holiday go to work on Paul Reed. He ended up taking Paul Reed to work, and Drew Holiday so damn big and strong, he literally took him to the basket and hit him with a power move, a pump fake, and a bucket. They they just and then even when they went to the bench, it's just shoot like they're not as athletic and as good defensively off the bench as they were in, in recent years, but they can shoot the shit out of the basketball. They ran a lineup with Luke Cornett out there with Svee Mikhailu and and um and Peyton Pritchard and. Uh, and Sam Hauser, and they were just raining threes. This is a this is a really good team, and Kristaps Porzingis is like a perfect fit with that group as well. Um, but like in, in general, I, I think you know I, I was listening to the Celtics announcers last night talking about you know Drew Holiday and some comments he's made about his willingness to come off the bench. I just don't see the point in that. Um, I want I would want to get as much repetition as possible for Drew Holiday with Derek White, with Tatum and Brown, and with Chris Porzingis over the course of the season because that's the lineup you're going down with. You're not going down with Drew Holiday on the bench, right? And so I, I would like to see them kind of lean into that a little bit more uh, over the course of the season. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the, like, if you bring Al Horford into the starting unit and you make Drew Holiday come off the bench, they're still going to win a shit ton of games. I, I feel pretty confidently that they're going to win the, uh, get the number one overall seed this year. On the Sixers front, Tyrese Maxey came out guns blazing. He's been super impressive to start the preseason. He hasn't even really shot that well. Uh, but he just has that perfect combination of downhill speed and over-the-top shot-making, like reliable three-point shooting. Um, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the league last year. Uh, but the big things that stood out to me, because here's the thing, Tyrese Maxey has been fast and a good shooter for like three years now. But the big things that have stood out to me are the reads that he's making in pick-and-roll and his commitment to the defensive end of the floor. He's getting really good now at baiting defenders to show high on that three-point shot and then hitting the Jets downhill. He's got better command of the floor than he has in recent years. And on the defensive end of the floor, and this is the Nick Nurse effect, you could see it from the opening tip of these games. Tyrus Maxey is applying ball pressure. He's looking for screens and navigating them better. You can just tell in general his level of give-a-shit about point-of-attack defense is at an all-time high for him personally. There was a play in the second quarter um, – 
where Sam Hauser was getting ready to run off a pick on the right side of the floor, out of the right, uh, out of the right wing, and and like you could literally, he didn't even get the ball. Like the play was ran in a different direction, and you can literally see Tyrese Maxey like identifying that that screen's coming. He sees the play, and then he immediately gets, he hops around and gets into, uh, gets into lock and trail position on Hauser. Like gets like set set up behind him. He's ready to go, and then like he sees. Uh, uh, Sam Hauser getting ready to curl, and he like cuts underneath the screen and meets him on the other side. Like you, you can tell the commitment is there at another level, and it's going to be important because there's again, especially with uh, on the offensive end, if they do end up making a James Harden trade, he's going to have to carry a bigger offensive role than he has in recent years, and it seems like he's positioned for that. And again, like Tyrese Maxey's always been one of my favorite players. I, uh, uh, I, I think I've told the story before, but I ran into him working out at. Uh, uh, in Vegas two years ago, and like I, like of all the NBA players that I saw at summer league, like he was one of the ones that was there just to get better at basketball. You know, the, just an absolute hoop head who's uh, who lives in the gym, and um, and I think he's going to take a big leap this year. Kelly Oubre hit four threes all in the first half. Um, that's going to be a really important thing for the Sixers all season. He's at 86% in effective field goal percentage so far in catch-and-shoot jump shots in preseason. 1.13 points per spot of possession. Why is that important? Because, again, that forward position next to Embiid, in between Harris and Embiid, is vitally important for the versatility in the playoffs because P.J. Tucker, against certain matchups, can be a problem with the way teams leave him open in the corner. But if Kelly Oubre can be a knockdown spot-up shooter this year, that could go a long way towards giving them an option when P.J.'s not hitting. All right, let's move on to that season preview for the Boston Celtics. So I have the Celtics at number three in my power rankings. Here is an off-season recap. They lost Malcolm Brogdon, Danilo Gallinari, Blake Griffin, Mike Mascala, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, and Robert Williams. Grant Williams is the one there. Like, I'm not as worried about Robert Williams uh, because I think they're better when they go five out and Porzingis kind of brings that option, right? Um, Grant Williams, I think there's... Grant Williams was not as necessary last year. And I can see how that would like cause Celtics fans to be like, we don't need him. But he was vitally important two years ago. And why was that? Because he did a credible job guarding Giannis, especially in the first chunk of that series in the Eastern Conference semis. And like it's because he's at the wing position, a fire hydrant. He's huge and strong, low center of gravity, has good defensive anticipation. And they don't really have another guy like that on the roster, unfortunately, with his like size at the forward position. And that's important because like if you run into Giannis again, suddenly Grant Williams does become more valuable. So again, like I, I, I want to just caution Celtics fans. I don't think it's gonna make or break the season, but like before you just say Sayonara to Grant Williams, like it, there's he served a purpose. He's a very specific type of forward, a big, strong, low center of gravity forward that can slide his feet and stay in front of power players. You didn't play a power player last year, so you didn't need him. But you will. You he does have a, a, a distinct purpose in the league as that type of forward. Um, they added Delano Banton from the Raptors, O'Shea Brissett from the Pacers, Wenyan Gabriel from the Lakers, a, a, a really uh, athletic try-hard forward that can do a lot of dirty work. Lamar Stevens played with the Cavs last year. Svi Mikhailu, shooter. And then Drew Holiday and Chris Porzingis, who we'll talk about in just a minute. I want to start with the depth chart. So at guard, 
the depth chart right now, Drew Holiday, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, Sfee Mikhailu. Kind of a similar situation to the Lakers where it's like three starter caliber players and then not a lot of depth. So uh, obviously injuries over the course of the season at the guard position could be an issue, but not too much when you've got the type of perimeter talent you do at forward. So you got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, O'Shea Brissett, Delano Banton, Sam Hauser, and Lamar Stevens. And then at center, Chris Hops Porzingis, Al Horford, Luke Cornett, and Wenyan Gabriel. So I want to talk about the Drew Holiday and Chris Hops Porzingis uh, additions for a minute. These are massive upgrades at their two weakest positions last year. I thought their best players were Derek White, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. I mean, even over the course of that Heat series, you could really tell Derek White became one of the more reliable half-court guys, especially with the way that Jalen Brown was falling apart. So, like, those are your three best players at the 2-3-4, right? But the problem was, is, like, um, uh, obviously, like, Marcus Smart went down a level defensively last year. Drew Holiday is just a lot better at everything that Marcus Smart does. He's just a better version of Marcus Smart. And then at the center position, the problem you had was when you went five out with Al Horford, your offense looked better, but your defense wasn't as good. And when you went with Robert Williams and you played Al Horford at the four, you had to take a perimeter player off the floor. Or if Al Horford was off the floor, you weren't as good offensively because Robert Williams isn't the same type of offensive spacing threat that Al Horford was, right? Porzingis brings the best of both worlds to the table. It gives you the ability to have legitimate rim protection like what Robert Williams brings to the table, legitimate vertical spacing like what Robert Williams brings to the table, while at the same time having the perimeter spacing that Al Horford brought to the table, right? And the little bit of off-the-dribble pop that you didn't really get from either of them, right? So, like, it, it, it's massive upgrades at both positions. And it matters for a couple of different reasons because, like, now they can actually go to that rim protection without sacrificing offense, which was a significant issue in the years past. You've significantly upgraded one of your most important players in Marcus Smart. Drew Holiday is like legitimately a top 30 player in this NBA. Somewhere, some people think he's top 20. Some people think he's top 30. It depends on who you ask. I had him just outside my top 25, so somewhere between 25 to 30. I think I had him like in that 25 or 26, 27, 28, 29 group. I can't remember exactly where. Um, but he's a super valuable playoff player too with his defensive versatility. You like, and then again, specifically with Miami. You had issues with switching. The book is out on the Boston Celtics. If you switch screens against them, you will bait them into ISOs. If you bait them into ISOs, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown just aren't good enough at it in a slowdown, physical playoff environment against the best defenses in the league, right? But now you've added additional weapons in that situation, specifically Porzingis. Drew Holiday can beat switches too. He's a better post-up guard too than Marcus Smart, in my opinion. But if you look at... It's strictly from the standpoint of Chris Ops Porzingis. Now, when you run Tatum Porzingis action or Brown Porzingis action and they switch, you have another way that you can attack, which is go to Chris Ops Porzingis. And again, with Chris Ops, it's not just like pound the basketball, right shoulder fade, left shoulder fade, like tough shot making out of the post. He also legitimately is a good like duck in sealer. And what that means is like he can get a switch. And then like when the dude tries a three quarter front, he can turn and give you a target and seal and catch and quick finish around the basket. Like a big part of his post-up efficiency last year is that it wasn't just slow down, methodical shot making in the post. He did a lot of work on quick duck-ins and uh, sealing a front and creating a target, right? And like making easy shots out of the post. <clears throat> I thought the Marcus Smart trade too kind of gave them the ability to give Peyton Pritchard a legitimate, uh, um, a legitimate spot in the rotation, right? 
Like, uh, you get rid of Smart, you get rid of Brogdon, you bring in Drew Holiday. Now you have two really good guards in front of Peyton, Peyton Pritchard instead of three. And that's the thing. is like Peyton Pritchard is like a legitimate, really good NBA guard who was out of the rotation most of the time just because he had three legitimate, really good guards in front of him. And every playoff rotation shrinks, right? And he's been shooting the shit out of the basketball in preseason. He's 9 for 15 on pull-up jump shots. Peyton Pritchard, 7 for 13 on pull-up threes. And some really nasty ones, too. There's a play uh, in, the, in the preseason game last night against the Sixers where um, I want to say it was DeAnthony Melton was guarding Peyton Pritchard and did a really nice job navigating a ball screen and was just being a pester. And uh, just being a pest, I should say. And then literally... Uh, he ends up uh, running and resetting, doesn't get discouraged, resets, does a better job setting up to Anthony Melton on the next one, gets him into trail position, then snakes the screen because Melton was doing a really good job with ball, ball pressure. After he snakes the screen, he pulled out of it with a step back three to the top of the key. Like an incredibly high-level shot-making possession. And so I'm, I'm just kind of excited for Peyton, especially off of the extension that now he's going to have a real chance to be just a consistent spot in the rotation. That's just a better use of your resources. Again, in terms of resource management, it doesn't make sense to have really good basketball players out of your rotation. And if you do, you should probably consider making some sort of move to try to turn that player into a position group where you need help. And that's the thing. You had too many good guards last year, and you got rid of one, and now as a result, you're going to provide an opportunity for a guard that you had outside of the rotation last year. Now, one of the big things I've seen in terms of criticism or negativity surrounding the Celtics this year is the depth debate, right? So, you know, last year you you just had more good players coming off the bench. And if you look at the depth chart, like, it's a, it's a drop-off, right? Like, we go from Drew Holiday and Derek White to Peyton Pritchard, who I really like and I think is a very good player, but a guy who historically hasn't been in the rotation, right? Svee Mikhailo, that's a big drop-off. At forward, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like, that's a really good – uh, that, that's two superstars, right, in the star, at the top. But then it's a big drop-off to go to O'Shea Brissett, Delano Banton, Sam Hauser, Lamar Stevens, right? From Chris Ops, Porzingis, and Al Horford, you drop off to Luke Cornett and Wayne Gabriel, right? So they don't have the depth that they did in previous seasons. But, like, again, I'm not as worried about that because star depth is equally important, in my opinion, because of the ability to create small roles. I talk about this all the time on the show, but you have roles on the floor, responsibilities that have to be fulfilled. And the beautiful thing about stars is they can take big chunks out of it, right? Like when you, when you have a, a really good shot blocking center, like Chris Ops Porzingis, everybody's defensive job gets easier, right? Cause there's real rim protection on the floor. When you have a outstanding shot creator, it makes all of your role players jobs easier because they get easier spot up opportunities. And that's the beautiful thing is like, You've got four dudes, five really, if you count Porzingis, that can help you create shots. And so even if two of them are out of the lineup for whatever reason, it's going to be role players alongside three outstanding shot creators that can help your team generate high-quality spot-up looks. On the defensive end and on the offensive end, when you have stars that fulfill responsibilities, and again, all five of those guys are good defenders. Drew Holiday, maybe the best perimeter defender in the league. Derek, Derek White, the best shot-blocking guard in the league, a very, very good defensive guard. Jason Tatum, two years ago, was the best perimeter defender in the league, in my opinion. He shut down Kevin Durant in a playoff series, right? Jalen Brown, two years ago, was a very good defensive player. All of these Celtics guys had bad de uh, defensive seasons last year. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
And then Chris Porzingis is a legitimate rim protector. So they all take significant chunks of the responsibilities on both ends of the floor. The roles that you're going to ask guy to, guys to fill are going to be small and achievable roles. So I'm not, I'm not as worried about their depth because they have so much star depth. And I'd argue that's every bit as important. Two other things I want to hit before we get to a prediction. The defensive intensity thing. So I uh, I said this after the Nets series two years ago, but I thought that Boston Celtics defense in the playoff run where they went to the finals was the best defense that I've seen in this era, in the half court. They were bad transition defense, but it wasn't even because they were a bad transition defense. It was because they kept putting themselves in precarious transition situations by blowing shots at the rim, falling down and complaining to the refs while they're running the other way with an advantage, right? But in the half court, they were stifling frightening defensive team. And then last year, they went down a huge level from there. And again, like I know you look at the defensive ratings and you look at where they rank and you're like, oh, they still were one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, they were another one of the good defenses in the league last year. Two years ago, they were miles better than everybody. The entire second half of the year, they were comfortably above everybody in the league defensively. And in the playoffs, they were comfortably above everybody defensively. That's what got them to within one crazy Steph Curry performance of having a 3-1 lead in the finals. And, and so, like, again, I think just from the standpoint of commitment, I just want to see this year an, a, the level of intensity return. I want to see the level of give a shit return. Because this team is extremely talented, but they're not going to be a good enough half-court offense to not be the very best defense in the league comfortably. And so that's something to keep an eye on this year. And then lastly, Jason Tatum's late-game execution. I have thought about this Celtics team so much in, in, in preseason because of the Drew Holiday trades and how good Kristaps Porzingis has looked. Right? Like, it's hard not to be super excited if you're a Celtics fan, and I get that. But time and time again over the years, every time the Celtics have brought in additional firepower, the ball has ended up in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's hands at the end of series. And look, Jason Tatum kind of started to click a little bit at the end of the Heat series before he got hurt. But for the most part last year in the postseason, really struggled with half-court shot creation at the end of games when things slowed down. And so, like, they can run away with the number one seed, and they can look fantastic and win 60 games and blow out everybody in the first round and maybe even blow out everybody in the second round. But if they end up in a series with Milwaukee, who do you trust at the end of a game to execute more in the half court? Damian Lillard and Giannis or Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? Because at the end of the day, that's where the ball's going to end up. And I believe genuinely that Jason Tatum is going to become one of those guys. He's going to become one of the best half-court surgeons in the league. The question is, will it be this year? Or will it be next year? Or will it be the following year? Right? Because we saw him run into Steph Curry and really struggle and get out-executed. Last year when push came to shove, Jimmy Butler was able to make the plays at the end of games and Jason Tatum was not. So like that sort of thing is going to be what ends up determining the ultimate ceiling of this team. And right now that's an unknown. And that to me is kind of the difference maker. That's why I have them down at three. 
I think the Celtics have the best roster in the NBA with the highest ceiling. But I've thought that same thing now three years in a row. I thought it in 2022. I thought it in 2023. I thought it in 2024. This is the 2024 season, right? But it just, it just, that's not what actually wins the title. What wins the title is the combination of whatever your defensive ceiling is and your defensive versatility and your ability to execute in the half court at the end of games. And, and, and that's just a big question mark at this point. And, and so at that, I just can't, I can't put them above Milwaukee or Denver when I just trust Dame and Giannis or Jokic and Murray more at the end of close games when things slow down. All right, uh, a couple mailbag questions. Beyond the clear contenders, what team do you think has the best chance to make a finals or championship run? As unlikely as it can be, I'm really high on the Timberwolves. I really like the Timberwolves too. I I think they're going to be one of the best defenses in the league this year. They've got some of that Celtics potential like I was just talking about. The problem is, is once again, like, game half-court shot creation. Like, do I trust Anthony Edwards, who I really like and I think is ascending into superstardom, but he reminds me a lot of, like, you know, LeBron in the late 2010s as a half-court shot creator, where it's like on any given one-game sample size, if his pull-up jump shot's going, he can be, like, really good because he's such a gifted athlete and he's got that alpha dog mentality. But the problem is, is, like, he's just not quite as polished as some of these other half-court guys. And so I don't think the Timberwolves can win the title just because inevitably they're going to run into somebody who out-executes them at the end of games. The two teams that I put that weren't in my top six, right? So my top six were, um, you know, Bucks Nuggets somewhere, one, two, Celtics at three, Lakers at four, the Suns at five, the Warriors at six. Those are my top six, and the Warriors are a clear six, and then the top five I kind of all have on the same tier. But I all think those are the top-tier contenders, or top two tier contenders, whatever you, uh, serious contenders. Um, but then there's a little bit of a drop off, right? And I would say the Clippers, obviously, you always have to keep track of just because if they're healthy, they're super talented and they have one of the top five in a vacuum stars in the league. Like if, if Kawhi's healthy, he's a top five player. That's just a fact. It's just he's never healthy, right? But you always have to consider them as a threat. And then the Heat, because they're going to eventually make a trade, I would think. And if they do and you give enough talent to Eric Spolster and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, they can be a problem for teams. What do you think about the difference in opinions between Tatum and Brown? What I've re- This is a really good question, by the way. What I've realized is that Hoopers are much higher on Jalen than Tatum, and journalists and analysts are higher on Tatum compared to Brown. Tatum is indeed the better player, but I was wondering what your thoughts are on this observation. Hoopers are always going to be drawn to uh, like creative shot making. And Jason Tatum is a very analytically sound player, especially last year, because he basically started getting rid of the mid-range and taking just threes and layups, right? So analytically, he's always going to appeal a lot to people. And then I think Jason Tatum is a better defender than Jalen Brown, too. Um, To be clear, Tatum is a better player than Brown. But what draws people to Jalen Brown is that creativity. My thing is, like, there is value there. And in a lot of situations, in like a final possession, I'm like, give the ball to Jalen Brown. He's just a little bit more creative off the bounce, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, like even then, Jason Tatum is uh, like a bigger, better athlete that allows him to get more separation, even when he is just going to take another three, right? And so, I, I mean, again, like I understand why basketball players are drawn to that sort of thing, and God knows, I think Jalen Brown's really good, but I think I, I think Jason Tatum is like clearly the better player. Um, and even though I am a basketball player myself who I, I, who, you know, I, I, I would, I would imagine that I fall into that Hooper category to some extent. And I, I'm, I like those things about Jalen Brown, but that's not enough to put him over the top for me.
Last one, a non-basketball question. What would it take for Mass Effect to return to greatness? This, this is completely random and a, game, uh, a question I'm really happy about. To, just to talk about something different for a minute. Uh, so I used to be bigger into video games when I was younger, not so much anymore. But I've always been really big into sci-fi. And specifically, like, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by, like, deep storytelling. You know, that, that's why I'm drawn to Star Wars. And that's why I have my Star Wars podcast. And on that podcast, I also cover Lord of the Rings when they, they come out with stuff. So we did Rings of Power season one, right? House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones. All those like long drawn out sagas, storylines where there's deep storytelling I've always been attracted to. And um, Mass Effect is like that in a video game, right? Like there's books, there's extensive storytelling about how the human race discovered, you know, that Pluto was this frozen, you know, gate to the rest of the universe, so to speak. I, I won't get into the meat and potatoes of it, but like, um, I really appreciated that about that game and I got really invested in it. And I, like most Mass Effect fans, played Mass Effect 1, played Mass Effect 2, played Mass Effect 3, loved them all. But then I played Mass Effect Andromeda and I got through it, but I was bored most of the time. Didn't think it was very good other than the graphics and it was repetitive and it was boring and it just felt like kind of like a, uh, a miss, right? But again, like I think, I think one of the most important things to any sort of storytelling is to have a truly terrifying villain, right? Like think about the villains in the other three sagas that I mentioned in Star Wars, like Palpatine is is literally one of the most terrifying villains in the history of, of storytelling, right? And his plan to overthrow the Republic was genius. And now he's got the Death Star and all this other stuff, right? Go to Lord of the Rings. Like Sauron and Morgoth and everything surrounding the good versus evil. You have this truly terrifying entity that uh, um, that is the enemy. And then same thing goes for Game of Thrones. Like the White Walkers are this mysterious and terrifying entity. And that's what the Reapers were in Mass Effect. And like, I remember, as some of you guys might probably remember playing, but like you'd talk to the Reapers and you'd have this conversation with this artificial intelligence. And, and it was like scary how like ruthless and logical they were about how they have to exterminate life. And they're like, oh, you don't understand. Like we have to kill you because you're, it's what's best for you, basically. <laughs> you know, and it was, it was terrifying. And then obviously you combine... Uh, just the unbelievable uh, firepower and defense that the, the Reapers have. And they kind of look like those giant squids, right? They're kind of scary looking. The Reapers were just like a legitimately terrifying villain. And they went a really weird direction with Andromeda by leaving that galaxy entirely. And so, so you didn't have some of the, the kind of cool part of exploration that you had. And then um, I can't even remember the name of the villain, and I remember I, it's been so long since I played that story that is weird, but th they had like that that other villain out there that was like doing genetic man manipulation where they like they were like creating uh, other beings out of like their genetic material or something like that. But it just wasn't that interesting and not that scary, you know what I mean? And so that that that's kind of what what ruined it. So like, what can return Mass Effect to greatness is come back to the original galaxy and come up with something that's terrifying. You know, I, it wouldn't be too hard to do. That's what's kind of appealing about the Ahsoka series, right? Is like, what the hell is it that Balin's going after out there, right? There's something scary out there that he's going after. So good question. We can. I, I'm always down for mailbag questions that are not related to basketball. It just helps us get through the 
grind of an NBA season and offseason. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We'll be back tomorrow with probably some more preseason reaction and eventually the top two in our power rankings. I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.